0: Please turn your Bible to Mark chapter 13, Mark the thirteenth chapter. We begin with verse 24, Mark 13, 24. Now we studied a part of this lesson in Sunday School this morning. I felt impressed to bring the message from this passage also. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give its light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, Till all these things shall be done heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away but of that day and that hour knoweth no man know not the angels who are in heaven neither the Son but the Father take heed watch and pray for ye know not when the time is for the Son of Man is like a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what manner, uh, what when the master of the house cometh, at evening, or at midday, or at the cock crow, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you. I say unto all, watch. Perhaps the watchword of the church for these 2,000 years has been the same word Jesus gave to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said to them, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The passage we have read from it's called the Olivet Discourse. It is so important that it is given in full in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21. John says somewhat the same thing, but he sums it up in just a few verses. In John 14, beginning with verse 1, it was the night before Calvary and he had gathered his disciples together and he was telling them about his decease on the cross. Their hearts were troubled. There were tears. And Jesus began to say to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He was in that passage saying, there is not a Jewish way and a Gentile way, a Muslim way and a Christian way. There's not a Baptist way and a Catholic way and a Methodist way and a Church of Christ way. There's only one way. It's the way of the cross. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now those words were so very, very important. He was speaking of his return. There are many passages in the Old Testament that speak of the second coming of Jesus. Many times the prophets, as the Holy Spirit would reveal this to them, would see the peaks of the first coming and the second coming, and it would all be in one verse or in one paragraph. Some of that is true in the New Testament when we deal with prophecy. When Jesus was giving this Olivet Discourse, He had left the temple for the last time. Jesus had come to his temple. In Malachi chapter 3, the messenger of the covenant shall come to his temple suddenly. And he did. John chapter 1 tells us, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John also adds, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so it would be correct to say, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. And so when Jesus walked through that temple, it was God walking through the temple. He came unto his own, and his own received God not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And when he walked into the temple during those days when he walked in the flesh, that gave him a hard time. The religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and scribes, were always trying to catch him in something. And they rebuked him, and and they tried to catch him. And they were telling others, if he really casts out devils at all, he does it in the name of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They made fun of him. They poked fun of him. They did everything they could do to God. You see, the only way we can really know God is to know him through Jesus Christ. And when people tell you they know God, but they don't know much about Jesus, you can just write it down in their, in, the, in your mind, they don't know God at all. Because the only thing we can know about God and really know God personally is through Jesus. And when Jesus came, they were not expecting Him to be like that. They didn't expect God to be like that. Now Jesus is talking about His second coming. And he says, watch and pray, lest you be so taken up with the things of the world. And you assume that this world is your home. You forget that you're a stranger and a pilgrim. You forget this world is not your home. You have a heavenly citizenship with the Father. And so you get so that you become a settler here. And you like the things of the world. And you enjoy all the pastimes and the amusements and the pleasures of the world. Jesus said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now let's look specifically at what he was saying, beginning in verse 28. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word. shall not pass away that same thought is repeated in Matthew and in Luke and in Matthew he says now learn the parable of the fig tree when its branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves ye know that summer is near so likewise when ye shall see all these things know that it is near even at the door verily I say unto you this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled heaven and earth shall pass away but my words Shall not pass away. Now, what specific thing was he talking about? There were many signs given of the coming of the Lord. One of those signs is buried deep in the heart of Ezekiel. And in that scripture, chapter 37, he talks about the valley of dry bones. And he says, Ezekiel, son of man, come out and prophesy to the dry bones of Israel. And say to them come a knitting and you know the Negro spiritual about bone knitting to bone and sinew to sinew so on and so on and what he was saying is Israel has died they're buried the nation is gone they have sinned grievously against God but there's coming a day and God will bring them from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will be regathered into their own homeland. Many of you who were alive in 1948 saw this happen. In May of that year, Israel became a nation for the first time in many, many years, perhaps 2,500 years. There was a little time during the interbiblical period under the Maccabees that Israel seemed to be a little nation for itself, but soon it was gone again. And not since the Babylonian captivity in 585 BC when Nebuchadnezzar and his troops marched around Jerusalem and Jerusalem was besieged for two years and inside they ate their children, their little babies, they were so hungry. And finally the walls came tumbling down as it were and Babylon ruled Israel. And the chief people of that nation were taken to exile, among them Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, and others. And Israel was no more a nation. But the scriptures predicted that Jesus would gather the nations, from the nations, those who were of that background again. And this has been happening for several years. Israel is back in its homeland. And there are many who believe that that scripture about the fig tree relates to those that generation who was alive when Israel became a nation. And he says that generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. I do not know what a generation is. Some believe it's 20 years. Others believe it's 40 years. Others 50. Some believe that a generation is 100 years. Did you know there are places in our world where people live to be 140? Not in America. The oldest person here in America, I think, died a few months ago at age 115. But there are places like in Tibet and in the high, dry lands of that Asian area where people live to be 120 and 140. And so some have wondered if the generation spoken of here is 100 years. Very possibly. My mother lived to be 99. There was a man in our city who was driving his car when he was 112. He's gone now. We don't know what a generation is. What we need to note is Let's watch and pray. Jesus is coming again. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But I want you to notice what he says. Beginning in verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels that are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Then turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens which were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy living, godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Now in Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 11, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul says, But the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So notice, if the grace of God that brings salvation is to come to your heart, remember there are different kinds of grace. There's grace to go through affliction and trouble. Concerning that, the Holy Spirit says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There is such a thing as dying grace, and none of us has that until we need it. There are a number of different kinds of grace mentioned in the scripture. But this scripture says in Titus 2, the grace that brings salvation. That means if you have been a recipient of the grace of God that has changed your heart, Christ has come into your heart, He lives inside. He is your Savior and Lord. Then he says that grace teaches you something about the second coming of Christ. It teaches you that to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And if we ever live in an age when believers need to be reminded of that, it's today. We live in a time of worldly lusts. We live in a time of ungodliness all around us. The word Godliness has to do with godly awe or respect or reverential awe. We're living in a time when people talk about God like the man upstairs or the big buddy in the air or like somebody in Hollywood said some time ago, he's a living dog. Well, the God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't any of that. He is the sovereign of the universe. Jesus is God. And we cannot get on buddy-buddy terms with Him. He is our Savior. He is our sovereign. Certainly He is our best friend. And we walk with Him and talk with Him. And He tells us that we are His. But the Scripture teaches that that grace that brings salvation to our hearts teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live in the light of the glorious coming of Jesus. Christ is coming again. Therefore, we need to watch about worldly amusements. We need to watch about the dance, about liquor, about all the worldly things that were so taken up in, in this world. We need to be very, very cautious that we don't get taken up in a world that says abortion is okay. Premarital sex is just fine. The grace that brings salvation teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope. I don't know the day Jesus is coming, but he's on his way. He may be at the door today. Christ is coming. I had a wonderful pastor when I was growing up. I don't like to confess my sins openly. I confess them to the Lord all the time, every day. But one Sunday night after I got saved, I skipped church and went to a picture show. I've always regretted it. A lot of people make Sunday fun day and picture show day and ball game day. Well, my pastor taught me that wasn't wise or right. When he saw me later, and that was a great big church. I don't know how he knew I wasn't there. They had, they had about 2,000 in, in, in the service every Sunday. Always had 1,500 to 1,700 in Sunday school. This was back in the 30s and 40s. But he knew I wasn't there. And the next Sunday when I saw him, he said, uh, Richard, I missed you last Sunday night. Well, I shivered in my bones. Imagine that man that preached to thousands all the time missed me. (laughs) And you know, unabashed, I just said, well, I went to a picture show. I didn't know I was supposed to be ashamed of that. And he said this. Would you have liked for Jesus to come that night when your church was having church and seen you over there at the picture show? Like a dagger it went to my heart. I knew that wasn't God's will. How did I know that? The grace of God that had come into my heart taught me that. Nobody else had to teach me. He didn't have to say anything else. I knew immediately that I was in a place that I wouldn't have been pleased if Jesus had come. And he wouldn't have been pleased either. So let me ask you. Think through as believers. Are we really watching and praying, looking for his coming? Is our manner of life and our manner of speech such that would honor Christ? And to those who have never received Jesus as Savior, let me ask this one question. If He should come today, where would you stand? If He should come before midnight tonight and you're in your sleep, the Scripture says one shall be taken, the other left. Would you be taken to be with him or would you be left? Without the wedding garment of Christ's righteousness, you would be left. And so let me plead with you today. If you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, you're not positive you'd go to heaven if you died tonight, would you just now open your heart and receive him as your Savior and let Jesus come in? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Remember that Jesus died on an old rugged cross for our sins. There at the cross, God in Christ was reconciling the world unto himself, and he died for your sins and my sins. What are you going to do with him today? Our Father and our God, we pray that somebody here today in this place would open his heart to Jesus And this would be the beginning of a long life of service. A day that would be remembered in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Turn to your hymn book, number 338. The Savior is waiting to come to your heart. Would you let him come in today? Why not just now open your heart to Jesus? The invitation is very simple. Number one. If you've never been saved would you come and let us talk with you about how to be saved If you're not sure come and we'd like to explain it from the Bible if you have been saved this week or sometime and have never had opportunity to confess Christ openly you need to come walk down this aisle stand here with me and let me tell the church in a few moments here's somebody that's given his heart to Jesus Or whatever God has said to your heart. Maybe there's somebody here who has been saved but not been baptized. Or your membership is in another church and God wants you at Glendale. Or there's a need for a renewal of your covenant. Do what God tells you to do. While we sing, while we pray, will you come?